You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. Been in a message series called Following Jesus Off the Grid, and we're looking in the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're going to finish up chapter 5. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, today. Uh, the, the message uh, today's title is A Reason to Believe. And uh, man, right now, uh, are more than ever perhaps, as Christians, we need to have a strong faith in Jesus Christ. Um, a really interesting story. Just this morning, I uh, woke up and my daughter said, Dad, can I come to uh, get ready with you this morning and, and come to church with you? Um, she's 10 years old. And I said, sure jump in the truck, and made our usual rounds. And I was doing a little bit of my message prep. And uh, I had on my heart uh, to sh- give an update and just ask for us to pray for um, the U- Ukrainian uh, refugees. And uh, I have friends over there in Poland that are actually taking refugees in. So I was reading a letter from a friend of mine who uh, serves in a school a seminary in, in Poland, Raqqa, Poland. His name is Marek Kucharski. And so I'm reading this letter from Marek about how they're taking in um, uh, thousands of refugees in partnership with other churches and schools to minister to the needs of these individuals. I'm reading the letter out loud, and my daughter, who's 10, Maya, says to me, Dad, I know what that's about. That's about Vladimir um, Puder. I said, well, he is a pooter. I said, but his name is actually uh, Vladimir Putin. And she says, he seems like a mean man. I said, he's doing evil, Maya. And he, she said to me, well, what are we going to do about it, God? What are we going to do about it, Dad? And what does God want us to do about it? And I said, that's a great question. I said, I think God wants us to do something, that's for sure. And she said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, first we're going to send money uh, to Marek Kucharski. And she said, well, it's about time, Dad. It's about time. <laughs> she said, you and Mom haven't been talking about it enough. And, you know, I mean, gosh, if people need our help, then we should be people to help. Um, this is a young little girl who's 10 years old. And she's been on, this will be her fourth or fifth Mexico missions trip. Um, and she has a worldview that Christians are to be the people who help. And I'm so grateful for that. I know there's many families, kids, and young people here in our church that have embraced that vision too. That in a bad world, an evil world, where there's a lot of wrong things going on, Christians are to not only share the good news of Jesus Christ, but to show our good works. Jesus said, let your light shine so that others may see your good, what? Works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So today, what I want to tell you, just to say thank you, all of you who have given financially towards our hope offering, um, not only have you been able to help supply and fuel and fund all of our missionary efforts in Mexico, we're going to be able to go down there. We've scholarshiped families, supported families and individuals so that they could take off the time of work and they couldn't afford to go. They get to go. We've got all the supplies ready. We've got one of our largest missionary teams going uh, this uh, Thursday. I'm thrilled to be a part of that and to see what God's going to do. So not only are we going to be able to do that, but we also have already issued uh, some financial assistance 
to the refugees in need that are coming into Poland and need assistance and need help from the bombings that have been going on. These families have been displaced, have lost loved ones, have lost their homes, and they're fleeing in uh, to uh, neighboring countries. On the front page of Nation and World, it says this in our uh, Arizona uh, paper. It says, a Polish soldier helps family on their way to take a train uh, towards a border crossing in southeastern Poland on Saturday. As Russian invasions uh, of the Ukraine countries continue, there's more than 2.5 million people that have fled the violence according to the United Nations Refugee Agency. So I'm grateful for us as a church because we're able to quickly uh, send support uh, through our hope offering to help assist in that refugee crisis. So can we thank the Lord for his generosity in and through you and our church? That's really good. Um, if you want to be a part of a continuing assistance in that, specifically uh, for the, the Ukrainian refugees, that need is not going away real quick. It'll be continued. And you can give towards the hope offering and write Ukraine in there, and we'll be sure to help assist that. I'm appointing an individual from our first service to help in the dialogue and the specific needs. You can imagine, though, when people are flee uh, flooding into your uh, community, they're trying to do their best to just meet all of their basic needs to help care for them. These are women and children. Uh, these are individuals that have struggled tremendously uh, to uh, escape the violence, the terror, and the bombing. And I ask that you as a church not only pray for the Ukrainian refugees, but I ask that you pray for the Russian citizens who do not submit, do not like, and do not agree with Vladimir Putin because these people are being oppressed. These people are in need too. And we as a church can pray and ask for God to do some great work. Ask for the name of Jesus to be above all names and that the church would rise up globally and to make a great difference for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in our country right now we have peace. We have, uh, we have the freedom to preach the Bible. We pray, Lord, that no matter how things move around in the world, we would stand strong. Might you rise up the church. Might you strengthen the Christian in all situations and in all seasons. Might the name and the fame of Jesus be the driving ambition and glory for us, Lord. You are eternal life. You're the joy. You're our forgiveness. You're our help. You're our hope. And Father, we pray in all our financial sending and supporting, those resources would be multiplied, ministered to the refugees in need. And might they turn to you. And might the church rise up. And might you as well bring comfort and healing, strength and courage for the Russians who are in absolute defiance of the dictator Vladimir Putin. Might you strengthen them to fight for freedom and fight for the rights that you've given them by being made in your image. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Okay, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for being a great church. I'm proud of you. I'm excited that we're able to go down to Mexico. I'm excited that we're able to support um, this refugee work. Uh, Marek Kucharski is a friend of mine. Uh, he leads in a seminary there in Rockhoff, Poland. And uh, I'm proud that we get to jump on board and help them out. 
If you've got a heart for that, or maybe even a neighboring country in Romania, Romania is going to see a great number of refugees flooding into their country as well. I would say, please come talk to me and let's see what we can do. We always want to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Okay, so today the message is, is reasons to believe. Um, You need a reason to believe in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Why do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? I asked a number of people from teenagers to empty nesters um, to folks uh, uh, with young families. I asked a number of people this question, why do you believe in Jesus? Some people thought maybe my faith was wavering and they're like, do you need some help in strengthening in your faith? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm just asked, I'm preaching on that this weekend and I need you to tell me why, why, why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Some said, well, that's what I grew up with. My family taught me that. Others said, well, Jesus Christ gives me purpose in life. Another person said, Jesus helps me in my hardships. Somebody said, because Jesus is actually the Lord. That's why I believe. Another person said, I believe in Jesus Christ because he's the hope that I can find in a world that's fallen apart. Another person said, I believe in Jesus Christ because he changed my life. Isn't that great? And then this one really brilliant teenager said this, I believe in the existence of Jesus Christ because it gives explanation for the things that are hard to explain. I thought that was fantastic. So today what I want to do is I want to ask you the question, uh, why do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then let's look at Jesus who gives reasons to believe in who he is. He's being questioned, he's being tried, he's being pressured, he's being persecuted, he's being being sought after to kill at this point in time. He's already healed an individual, he's proclaimed that he's God, now everybody wants to kill Jesus as we look at the pages of scripture today. It says this, picking up in John chapter 5 verses 30 through 47, Jesus is speaking and he's trying to help the Jewish folks that have Uh, should have understood that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Um, he's trying to explain to them that there's reasons to believe that are beyond himself. So here's what he says. Verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. In other words, what he's saying is, there's more to the story of me. More people believe in me. I can prove it. Watch what he says, verse 32. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He's referring to John the Baptist. Many of the Pharisees and the religious leaders respected this individual. He was an incredible preacher, best preacher of all times. Jesus said nobody was better than him. And then Jesus shows up. Now he becomes this massive influence where thousands upon thousands are pointing towards, uh, are coming now, leaving John and coming to Jesus. So Jesus references John the Baptist as a reason to believe. Verse 34, he clarifies though, Verse 34, he says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. 
Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. So he's going to give us another reason to believe. He says, for the works, those are the miracles, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me and that the Father has sent me. What's he referring to specifically? He's referring to that healing that he did uh, where the, the individual had laid uh, there at the pool of Bethesda for some 38 years, or at, he, at least he was sick or lame for that long. Jesus was a miracle worker, but he's far more than a miracle worker. And he, he's saying these works testify about me. Verse 37, not only the works, he says, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He's saying that God the Father actually is a witness to Jesus Christ being the Messiah. His voice, this is a slam against them, he says, his voice, you've never heard. His form, you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He's saying, in other words, hey Jewish folks, those of you, you've rejected God's one and only son that he sent uh, that all who believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 39, he's going to give another reason to believe. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and that, that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. Verse 42, but I know that, that you do not have the love of God within you. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. Verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 45. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses was responsible for writing the first uh, five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and on, the Pentateuch. They believed in him to be an authoritative uh, writer, uh, an authoritative figure within their faith. And Jesus says, but if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in my words? Five reasons to believe for you and me. Number one is eyewitnesses. You can believe in Jesus Christ because there were many eyewitnesses. Um, people witnessed and testified that this man was truly alive. He truly was a person who walked the planet, uh, lived life uh, just like you and me, went to parties, went to funerals, uh, went to gatherings, helped sick people. He was alive. There are many, many eyewitnesses. The Bible tells us Jesus uh, was an incredible sensation in the culture. He was a powerful preacher, loved to be with people, loved his mom, loved his dad, loved to be with friends and family. But far more than that, Jesus was a miracle worker and Jesus claimed to be God. Look what John the Baptist says about him back in your Bible in verse 33. Um, I'm not going to show it on the screen, but you can look. John the Baptist, this great powerful preacher, said um, that he was, that John was a voice to make way for the Lord. Um, it says in verse 33, he says, you sent to John and he was born witness to the truth earlier in John chapter 1. He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Uh, 
In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said this about Jesus as an eyewitness. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the what? The world. John the Baptist was testifying that Jesus Christ was the one and only Savior of the world. Um, John also says in John chapter 1, verse 34, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. Um, additionally, there were many other eyewitnesses. I'll give you an example, the Apostle Peter. Uh, this is the one um, that perhaps you fall in love with if you've watched the Chosen series or kind of dove into reading the Gospels. Peter is brash and he's a little impulsive. He's impetuous, Peter. But Peter says this about Jesus Christ. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, help me out, eyewitnesses of his majesty. There's so many eyewitnesses to the works, to the person and the works of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, the one who wrote our Gospel of John, uh, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, wrote Revelation. He says this about um, Jesus Christ. He says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John continues on. This is Jesus' most uh, nearest and dearest uh, disciple. He loves Jesus Christ. He's a brilliant theologian, pastor. He writes this in 1 John. That which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Everybody that saw Jesus couldn't argue that this is a man who truly existed and most of the disciples, close eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ, would die a martyr's death. Um, John, the church history tells us that he was uh, told that he must uh, deny Jesus Christ as Lord or be boiled to death in a hot uh, uh, a bowl or, uh, of, of oil, pot of oil. They throw him in it and he actually miraculously survives and ends up being one of the only disciples that is able to die a peaceful death um, on the island of Patmos. Perhaps many believe that he came back to Ephesus later and died that way as a peaceful uh, uh, old age. All the eyewitnesses, though, that were close disciples of Jesus died a martyr's death except John. Why is that? Because they believed he truly was the Lord. Um, many of you, perhaps today, uh, you are seeking or searching and asking, uh, can I really trust Jesus Christ to be Lord my encouragement is to do the investigation yourself. I'm reminded of the story of a gentleman by the name of Lee Strobel wrote a powerful book called A Case for Christ. And uh, Lee was a, is an American uh, Christian author today, but he was a former investigative journalist. And he watched his wife come to faith in Jesus Christ and thought it was just a myth, a hoax, a crutch for people who need uh, a hope to live for and believe Jesus was, again, just a piece of uh, mythical, fictional storyline to fit into the narrative of God. And he 
codes to disprove Christianity and in the process becomes a devout follower of Jesus Christ and becomes one of the greatest instruments for us to understand an intelligent faith and a verified faith by looking at the claims of Jesus Christ and specifically all the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ uh, having the same story. If you're not a book reader and you love movies, watch the movie Case for Christ. If you... uh, need a friend to know a little bit more about the claims of Jesus Christ, recommend that movie or buy that book. Um, The second reason to believe, though, is miracles. Uh, Jesus had a lot of miracles in his ministry. There's over uh, 37 that are recorded in the Gospels. Later in the Gospel of John, though, he says that there's so many other things that we didn't record that there's no library in the world that would fit all these stories into a book or into a library. During his earthly ministry, Jesus transformed countless lives. And I want to pause for a moment and help clarify what a miracle is um, and what a miracle is not. Many times as Christians, we say, oh, that's a miracle. I watched, I saw this baby be born, or I watched the sunrise, or those aren't miracles per se. Um, Those are uh, uh, in natural law. Those are occurrences that happen oftentimes. A miracle is a is an extraordinary divine intervention into the world that defy natural law or scientific law. These are miracles uh, where uh, you know and I know stories of individuals that perhaps are in the hospital and they are at death's door. They have cancer. Their, their prognosis is terrible. And uh, the doctor says there's nothing we can do and outside of a miracle. Then believers pray. And then there's a miracle. And the doctors say, I have no explanations for this. This person was healed. These are miracles. Uh, John, uh, Jesus said this about himself in John 5, 36. Let's look at what Jesus said about the works he was doing. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me. In other words, he's saying, the miracles that I'm doing, they should be enough reason to believe. He continues on uh, and says this, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In other words, Jesus knows that there's plenty of people in the world that just need to see a miracle. Maybe you need to see a miracle. Maybe you need to pray for a miracle. God still does miracles and can do miracles. All throughout Scripture, we see this testimony. Jesus verifies that he uses miracles and works and signs to help people to believe. Let's continue on. In John chapter 14, 11, it says, Jesus says, Believe me that I am, the Father, I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Well, how about what the Apostle John said? Again, look at it. It says in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs. That's another word for miracles. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may, help me out, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Or how about Nicodemus, individual, a Jewish theologian, he even recognized he didn't receive Jesus Christ as Messiah at this point in time when we read in the Gospel of John chapter 3. But Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. 
Uh, miracles are a reason to believe. What's crazy to me is how many times we've seen miracles happen in people's lives and people still walk away. You know what I mean? You see somebody saved from death, you see somebody healed, and yet still, sometimes people just sit back and be like, well, I don't know, I can't explain it, but it's not God. I've got a friend who's in the hospital right now and death is at his door and we're praying for miracles. And some people have to go really low, and I don't know how low you have to go before you can look up and find the Lord. But what I do know is that these people, they witness miracles and they still turn away and run from God. But miracles are a sign and a proof of who God is. I can think of, um, in years past, I uh, interviewed an individual by the name of Pastor Saeed. He was an Iranian-American uh, uh, Christian pastor who was uh, ministering in Iran, and he was arrested and put in prison uh, for preaching Jesus. He had a number of house churches, and um, he was in prison for a period of about eight years. Uh, he was tortured daily for his faith. He was beaten, ridiculed, spit upon, kicked, punched nearly to death, suffered starvation, left for dead, witnessed weekly executions, hangings, and killings in prison. He was confined to solitary confinement. And you know what Pastor Saeed did all the time? He would pray for everybody who persecuted him. He would pray out loud, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. In the name of Jesus, I pray for God's mercy to fall upon this place. Thousands of Muslims ended up coming to faith in Christ. Miracle after miracle occurred in, in that country. And what I want to say to you is oftentimes we think, Lord, why don't you do more miracles in the United States? Why don't you do them here? I think God's got a sign over his door in every country and every continent says, I will do whatever it takes. But ladies and gentlemen, in the United States of America, we can freely preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not being arrested for preaching it. We may be persecuted, insulted, ridiculed, or scorned. But we have an incredible freedom, and therefore we have all the good news that we need to. You have an app on your phone called the Bible app, many do. You have millions of opportunities for access to the Scriptures. But in persecuted countries, people cannot talk about Jesus. All throughout China, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, all these places, if you are a Christian, you could die. And in these places, God says, I want my power to be made known among these people. And so we see miracles do have a powerful testimony. And not only that, the presence and the, and the idea of God himself is a reason to believe. This is the third reason I think you and I can believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus testified through the scriptures that God the Father affirmed him as the Messiah. Jesus said in John 5, 37, and the Father who sent me has himself born witness about me. If you are a Jewish believer at this point in time when Jesus is saying this, what he's saying is God the Father whom you worship gives testimony about me and verifies I am who I am. They would have been like, what? Secondly, God the Father said, clearly this is what Jesus is referring to, that God the Father spoke up at Jesus' baptism when he said, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then on a mountaintop, when Jesus took uh, Peter, uh, James, and John 
uh, up for a mountain devotional. He was, uh, the, the scripture records in Matthew that he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father affirms Jesus Christ. Here's my point for you and me. I find this really interesting. I haven't found a lot of research on this, but I did my own research. I think the presence of the idea of God gives a reason for you and me to believe there is a God and his name is Jesus. I find interesting all around the world, people in all places have some idea about God. This is in itself a testimony to the existence of God. The facts are there's about 7.7 billion people in our world, okay? And here's the reality. 75% of the 7.7 billion people of the earth, of the world that we live in right now, say there is a God. What I believe is that the reason why the 75% of the world says there's a God is because something in them was created by God to long for them. You and I, every person on the planet was wired to worship. It's just a question of who are we going to worship. There's something in every person on the planet that has, the Bible says it's a soul. People are not like animals. People have souls. They have an immaterial, eternal essence in them that longs for the king and the creator. Therefore, 75% of the entire world is worshiping, worshiping. But who are they worshiping? I think that very reality that there is a God is a great starting point and a great reason to say, Jesus is Lord. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. There's 2.3 billion Christians in our world. There's 1.9 Muslims. There's 1.6 billion Hindus. And the rest of the religions that are in our world have millions and thousands of followers. But again, it's interesting to me. All of this indicates to me there is a God. And there is an intelligent designer and you and I, the Bible says, we are made in the image of God, and we only will get in line with life when we follow our design. He is the creator. We are his creation. God, the idea of God itself testifies that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Number four, I would say this is that the Bible, the scriptures, they testify to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this, he says in, in, in John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures like you should do it. Or he's meaning like you already are searching the scriptures. Either way, it doesn't make a difference. His idea is you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. And I don't have time to get into this passage, but uh, also remember back in Luke's gospel when Jesus walks into the synagogue on a Saturday and he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is all upon me to proclaim freedom for the captives. The spirit of the Lord is on me. And then he turns around and he says, today all of that has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he was saying was, I am the Messiah. Jesus looked to the scriptures that he was the fulfillment of. The Bible is incredible 
because there is external evidence and internal evidence. For you note takers, outline makers, this is important stuff for you to think about. The external evidence of the Bible that helps you to believe in the Bible, the authority of the Bible, is this. External evidence and internal evidence. External evidence is the resources found outside the Bible, archaeology, ancient histories, letters, manuscripts. For example, over the past hundred years, uh, there's been so much verified factuality, literally hundreds of events, customs, cities, geographic features, and nations described in the Bible that uh, researchers, archaeologists, scientists are all finding, and they say, well, the Bible's got a lot of validity to it. There's also internal evidence. This is the idea that the, bi the material inside the Scriptures within the New Testament uh, proves and shows the uniqueness of it. I think just look at the Bible itself, 66 books. Not one of the 66 books was written. Uh, the 66 books of the Bible were written by more than 40 authors over 1,500 years, three separate languages, three continents, and they all had kind of one divine story. The Bible is incredible. The scriptures are incredible. And they wrote about the most controversial uh, uh, subjects like the person of God, the origins of man, the problem of evil, the meaning of life. And yet everybody's telling the same story. 2,600 times in the Old Testament alone, the writers of the scriptures say, this is from God. This is God's word. This isn't my word. This is God's word. And in the New Testament as well, the Apostle Paul says that the, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is breathed out by God. That's the idea of divine inspiration. The Apostle Peter said that people were being carried along, that this were being carried along by the Holy Spirit, divinely inspired, and wrote these things down. This is why you have nations and dictators and men and women of evil seeking to destroy the Scriptures, burn the Bibles, banish the Scriptures, get them away. And so the Bible, to me, is a, an incredible reason to believe if you just apply your mind to it and realize that there's so much in the Scriptures for us to learn from. 66 different books, 40 authors, all telling one divine story from beginning to end because Jesus is the Alpha and He is what? The Omega. He's the beginning. He is the end. Last reason to believe, I think, in Jesus Christ is you. And I've met some of you and I've seen how God's worked in your life. Psalm, change your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You give me reason to believe. When the pandemic hit, I was concerned about the church, wondering how these people would handle things. I was wondering if they'd be strong or if they would just cower. I was wondering what would happen. Uh, would we still serve? Would giving go down? Would people's faith really come out? Or would it just kind of all flake out? But you give people reason to believe. You have perhaps the greatest influence in this generation for the name and fame of Jesus Christ because people don't want to see what it looks like to be Christian when everything is perfect. People actually want to see what does Christianity look like when everything goes wrong because you say your God is a God of hope and healing and a God of power. You are the reason people should believe. You are. Even more than me. Because people say, well, he gets paid to preach. You don't. But you can preach all day long 
and be a testimony of who Jesus Christ is. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, the Apostle Peter wrote, and he said, listen, Christians, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it, what a great word for us, do this with, help me out, gentleness and respect. It is not cool to be gentle in our culture. It is not cool to be respectful. But you, Christian, you have a responsibility before God to go to the one who gives you hope, explain that to other people, but you do it with gentleness and respect. With everybody who is absolutely against you, every ideology, every lifestyle, everything that comes against you, threatens you, makes you mad. I almost started cussing on accident. I'm glad I didn't. But frustrates you. You, you are charged to share about the hope that you can find in Jesus Christ and the hope that you do find. And you're charged to do it with gentleness and respect. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of what we've able to accomplish and the things that we will accomplish. We're coming up on 10 years and I think the next 10 years are going to be the greatest 10 years. But you need to stand strong. You need to find hope. Healing, perhaps, in some of the hard spots of your life. But you always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that feel hopeless right now. Might you fill them with hope. Lord, I, feel, I pray for those that right now that have not been gentle at all to represent your name and your fame. Soften their hearts, Lord. For those that have been disrespectful, Lord Jesus, I pray they turn towards you and say, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus, for misrepresenting you and the church. I'll be respectful. Lord, and I pray for our church and for all those that want to know you more. Might you strengthen them, encourage them, build them, bless them. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.